0: Good morning, Genesis Church. Hello to those of you that are tuning in with us online today. We're glad to have you with us. And if you're new or visiting today, we're really glad to have you with us, especially if you're one of the families that are visiting to support these families that just uh, stood up here and said that they are all-in and raising their kiddos to know and love and follow Jesus. This is a really important part of what we do as a church family. Uh, This year as a church family, we've been studying and reading through the Gospel of John together. We started back in January, and believe it or not, we're going to wrap things up next week. But today we're looking at the second half of John chapter 20, and today we're going to be looking at the issue of doubt In fear and unbelief. I think it's something that we probably wrestle with in our lives more than we care to admit. So I want to read John chapter 20 verses 19 through 31 for us today as we begin. It says this, that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing among them and said, peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. One of the 12 Thomas nicknamed the twin was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. Thomas responded by saying, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe who have not yet seen. And then John concludes by saying this, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life in the power of his name. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the gift of your word. We're thankful for the power of your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would join us right now and that you would teach us from your word. Today, as as we talk about this story of doubt and fear and unbelief, moving to belief, I, I pray that you would meet us right where we are. Would you help us to be honest about the time in life when we struggle to believe? And would you help us to learn and be encouraged from your word today? Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So today, we're talking about struggling with uh, fear and and doubt and and wanting to believe, but not knowing how to believe. And so I thought it might be fun to share a story with you, and I want you to figure out how much of this story you're willing to believe for yourself, okay? So last year, there was a 49-year-old ultramarathoner from Florida, and he decided that he wanted to settle on an epic quest to walk from St. Augustine, Florida, all the way to New York State. Now, I looked this up on Google Maps. It's about a 1,000-mile journey. It would take you about 14 and a half days to walk. Now, it doesn't sound fun, but it doesn't sound impossible either. It would be doable, right? So, so far, it's pretty believable, but what, would you believe me if I told you that this guy didn't want to walk there on the land? He wanted to walk there on the water. Now, you might believe that he wanted to do that. You would also believe that he's crazy. But would you believe me if I told you that he made it 25 miles walking on the water before he had to be rescued by the Coast Guard. How many of you would believe me? Okay, thank you, thank you. I see you. You should probably investigate your facts a little better. No. Now, you're probably thinking, well, he wouldn't lie to me, right? Well, what if I showed you a picture? Would that help? So this is Reza Bellucci. He knew it, he knew it. See, you knew, you knew it was possible. He is in this thing called a hydropod, which is basically like a human hamster ball inside of that giant paddle. And if you climb into that, you can walk or you can run on the water. Okay, but here's my favorite. Well, actually, before I tell you my favorite part of the story, here's a selfie that he took so we could see him hard at work out there, right? Now, here's my favorite part of the story. This was not his first attempt. He did make it 25 miles this time. His first attempt He set out to walk from Florida to Bermuda across the open Atlantic Ocean, okay? He made it 75 miles on that occasion before the Coast Guard had to rescue him, and it cost the Coast Guard $144,000 to rescue him, and they weren't happy about it. So, kids, don't get any ideas, right? This is not a good way to spend your time. But here's the thing you've all heard the phrase, seeing is believing, right? And it helps to see. If, if you hear an impossible story, it helps to see a picture or a video to say, oh, okay, well, I guess I can see how that's possible now. Or maybe you've been a- explaining a story to someone before and said, well, I wouldn't have believed it had I not seen it with my, own, with my own eyes. It's good to have evidence to back up a story, but what if you don't have something to look at? What if you don't have a picture or a video? What if you just have someone else's account, a verbal or a written account? Well, what do you do then? And we live in a world that's filled with all these stories. And I don't know about you when I read them I'm like, did that really happen? Is that possible? Are we being duped here? And so these are really important questions like how do we know this is true? But these are really important questions to ask when it comes to matters of faith. Because how do we know that God really exists? And and if Jesus, if the story of Jesus is true, like it all makes sense up until the point that he rises from the dead, like how's that even how's that even possible? Well, today we're going to continue studying John's gospel, and he's going to tell us about the evening when Jesus appeared to his first followers that first, for the very first time almost 2,000 years ago. But just let me remind you of something. Jesus had predicted to his followers, the people that knew him best, he said, I am going to be arrested, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise from the dead. He told them on numerous occasions. So they knew they had all, the, they had all the, the information that they needed. But what we saw last week when we jumped into John chapter 20 is, honestly, when they saw the empty tomb, they struggled to believe. When they heard that there was an empty tomb, John and Peter ran and they looked inside and they investigated and they saw these burial clothes. But John tells us that they left not understanding that Jesus had to rise from the dead, even though he had told them. And then after they left, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she was weeping. And you know why she was weeping? She was weeping because as far as she knew, her friend was dead and somebody took his body. So that makes the story very real for us. She was grieving and then Jesus appeared to her. She was the first person to get to see him. She calls him by name, or I'm sorry, he calls her by name. She responds by giving him a huge bear hug and he says, Mary, don't hold on to me. I want you to go and tell my brothers that I'm alive. And so she does. In John chapter 20, verse 18, her, her message was simple. I have seen the Lord. Now you would think, with the ones that had investigated the empty tomb. And one of them, one that they knew, one of their friends said, I saw him. They had all the information they needed and you would think they would respond by celebrating. But in verse 19, John paints a very different picture. In verse 19, he says this, on the evening of that first day, in other words, just a few hours after they had seen that the tomb was empty, just a few hours after Mary has said, I have seen the Lord, when the disciples were gathering together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they weren 't celebrating, they were hiding, and they were very afraid, John tells us, and I think they were afraid for good reason. They were afraid because the Jewish leaders that had killed Jesus would probably like to have them dead too. And now Jesus body is missing. They need to blame somebody, and, and if anybody were going to take the body, it would likely be Jesus 's followers to perpetuate this idea that he had risen from the dead. So they were afraid they were together, they were hiding. But I want you to pay attention to this really important detail. They were together. And I don't want you to miss this. Whenever life blows up, do you not have a tendency like me to just kind of fall off the grid? Isn't it easy to just isolate and say, this is too much for me. I can't handle this. But John tells us that even though they were afraid, they weren't hiding alone and they weren't afraid alone. They were afraid together. And here's why I think this is significant for us. A few days before when Jesus was sharing his final meal with them, He gave them a command. He repeated it three times. He said, This, a new command I give to you love one another. It sounds easy enough until life gets hard. And then in John 17, we talked about this a few weeks ago when Jesus prayed for his disciples, he prayed that they would be united in their faith in him. And so now we find them on that evening of the first Easter Sunday when they don't know what to believe is true. And I think they're learning to love one another and be united in their faith, even when life is upside down. And so I just wanna stop and ask you this. Do you have friends like that? Do you have people in your life that when nothing else makes sense, when you are struggling to believe, do you have people that you can turn to? Not just any friends, but spiritual friends. Friends that can guide you back to God. I do, and I'm thankful that I do. I have a group of men that I meet with almost every Wednesday, and we pray together and study scripture. I have people that meet in our home, and same thing. And when my life is turned upside down, these are the people that I rely on, and they rely on me. And if you don't have a network of friends like that, we would love to help you find a network of friends like that here at Genesis. I think this is a really important lesson that they're modeling for us. They didn't know what was going to happen next, but they weren't going to go through life alone. But let's go back to that room, because they were afraid They were together, and there was a big question looming in that room. Is Jesus actually alive? And if so, where in the world is he? Why can't we see him? Well, thankfully, according to John, he wasn't far away. Look at the rest of verse 19. It says that Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now notice, John tells us the doors were locked. He's going to mention this detail later. So Jesus didn't just walk into the room. Apparently he either walked through the walls or he miraculously appeared. I don't know how it works. And one of the gospel accounts, when he appeared, he said, hey, let's eat something together so you know that I'm not a ghost. This is a miracle. But he appears before them and he greets them. And what he doesn't say is, you jerks left me a few days ago when I was arrested. (laughs) Or I knew that you sissies would be hiding behind these closed doors. That's not what he says. He says, peace be with you. Now, peace be with you is a standard Hebrew greeting. It was standard in Jesus's day. It's still used throughout the Middle East today. But Jesus wasn't just saying, peace be with you. Hey guys, it's good to see you. Dr. Gary Burge points out that when Jesus says, peace be with you this time, he is summarizing and sharing the essence of his work and his presence in the world as the resurrected Messiah. When he says, peace be with you, he is saying, I want you to know There is a new way to live now because I am alive. 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, the prophet Isaiah was referring to the coming Messiah and he said he would be called the Prince of Peace. And on the evening of his resurrection, he greets his followers with peace. And I want you to know this, the same peace that Jesus extended to his first followers is the same peace that he gives us 2,000 years later. It's peace and knowing that our sins are forgiven through faith in his death and resurrection. It's, it's peace in knowing that because of his resurrection from the dead, we don't have to fear sin and death anymore. It's peace in knowing that he will keep his promise to return to the earth and make everything right one day soon. It's peace in knowing that he wants to use us in our everyday lives. So Jesus greets his first followers with peace, but he was just getting started. Look at verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So John says, one moment they were afraid and now they're overjoyed because they realize the rumors are true, he's alive. And he also shows them his wounds. Think about that, in Jesus' resurrected body, he still carries these wounds to say, no, it's me. I've got a hole right here and right here. You can see it if you want. And that's gonna be important to the story in just a minute. But look at verse 21. Again, Jesus greets them and says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, this is big, because for the last few days, they had struggled to know what to believe. They thought everything had changed, but even though they had struggled in their faith, Jesus is saying, I've not lost my faith in you. As the Father is sending me, now I am gonna send you into the world. And then look at what he says next in verse 22. This one's a little different. With that, he breathed on them, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now remember, he's been dead for three days and I don't know what post-resurrection breath smells like. (laughs) Stay back a little bit, Jesus, right? But since he's in a glorified body, his breath probably didn't smell all that bad, but he breathes on them. This is such a weird story. Like, what does this look like? Well, don't worry about what it looked like. Let's pay attention to what John was teaching us in the moment. John's been using a lot of creation language in these last few chapters. Let me show you what I mean. Where did Jesus go to pray right before he was arrested? He was in a garden, right? When Jesus' body came off the cross, where was his tomb located? In a garden. When Mary saw Jesus for the first time, who did she think he was? The gardener. Now, when you think of scripture and you think of a garden, what do you think of? You think of the Garden of Eden. You think of the creation story, right? And what we see is that there's a new creation that's happening In the garden, God brought life to man, but it's also where sin and evil entered. But now through his resurrection, Jesus is reversing that curse. But I wanna go to Genesis 2-7. Listen to what the writer of Genesis tells us happened in the garden. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This is how life started for humanity. And now we see Jesus in that locked room breathing the power of the Holy Spirit into his followers, giving them a new spiritual and eternal life that started right then and extended into eternity. And this new life in the Spirit apparently comes with authority and responsibility. Listen to what Jesus says next in verse 23. He says, if you forgive someone their sins, they will be forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they won't be forgiven. Now, I think we gotta stop and ask, what what does that mean? Does that mean that you and I have the power to walk and say, yeah, I like you. I'm gonna forgive your sins. I don't like you, you're not forgiven. Is that what he means? Well, we know from elsewhere in scripture that that wouldn't be accurate. Everywhere else in scripture, we learn our sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus. So here's what I think Jesus is saying. I think he is saying that through faith in him, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been given the authority to announce that the forgiveness of sins is possible. And that's really big news. It's possible through faith in him. But we also have the authority to warn the people that we love, the world around us, that there is a penalty that comes with not having your sins forgiven through faith in Jesus. So let's take a step back and put all of these pieces together. It's the evening of that first day when Jesus has risen from the dead. He appears behind, from behind locked doors. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathes the power of the Holy Spirit onto his followers. And I think what we see is he is giving them the mission. The mission is beginning. He is commissioning them to go into the world and to tell everyone, you have the authority to announce that your sins can be forgiven and that the resurrection of Jesus is real. But I want you to hear this. That same mission hasn't changed. It's the same mission 2,000 years later. And here at Genesis, we kind of summarize that mission by saying we want to help people find their way back to God through a relationship with Jesus. And part of living that mission out is pronouncing it and announcing it with our mouths, but it's also living it out and modeling it with our lives so people that are far from God would be curious and they would come near. Now, this year, we've been studying through Jesus' life in the book of John but I'm excited to let you know that in 2023, we're going to continue on this journey and we're going to study through the book of Acts together. We're going to look at the history of the early church for the majority of next year. And Here's why this matters for me and you. The book of Acts is the history of the early church. It tells us how the early church was formed, how it functioned, and how it grew, and how normal people like me and you, through faith in Jesus, We're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to go into the world, to carry the message of the gospel, to announce the message of the gospel and to let people know that their sins could be forgiven. Now, we're really excited to enter into this journey with you next year and I wanna invite you to start praying now that the Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way and we would become a church like that first church. Now, I wanna go back to that room and I want you to imagine you were sitting there. You were afraid and now you're overjoyed. It would have been an event that would change your life forever. It changed the lives of the people that were in that room. It was an event that changed all the rest of human history. And apparently it was an event that a man named Thomas missed out on completely. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus or the twin, was one of the 12. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. The verb tense there means they continue to tell him, no, 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 we have seen the Lord. I'm telling you, we've seen the Lord. But look at Thomas's response. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his side, I'm sorry, in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, John tells us this Thomas guy was one of Jesus's original 12. He had traveled with Jesus everywhere he went, but somehow he missed the memo that they were all gonna be hiding out together. And in missing that meeting, He missed out on witnessing the resurrected Jesus. But not only did he miss out, he is telling his friends, I don't believe you. And unless I get the evidence that you had, I am not going, I'm not gonna believe. And because of his lack of belief, he has earned a nickname. Have you ever heard the phrase doubting Thomas or someone refer to someone as a doubting Thomas? This is where that comes from. Now, guys, he missed one meeting and he gets stuck with a nickname that sticks with him for 2000 years. Like that seems a little harsh to me. But I heard someone recently say that maybe a better, maybe a more a a more fair nickname would be Honest Thomas. He's just being honest. I wasn't there. I didn't get to see it. And after all, we're talking about somebody coming back from the dead. How many times does it happen in a lifetime? Honest Thomas was just demanding proof before he was able to believe. He wanted to know that his friend was actually alive, but he just needed, some, he just needed to, to be verified in, in a couple of different ways. And thankfully, Jesus was willing to give him the proof that he needed. Look at verse 26. A week later, an entire week goes by. Now listen to the details of the story because it's going to sound familiar. The disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Everything the same, except Thomas is there this time. And then he turns his attention to Thomas and says, put your finger right here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. That is the exact wording that Thomas used. And even though Jesus wasn't, or Thomas wasn't there, Jesus heard him say it. So Jesus appears He says, hey, Thomas, why don't you come and investigate for yourself? And then listen to what Jesus says to Thomas after he investigates. Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. When I read that, it sounds like Jesus is being just a little snarky to me. Stop doubting and believe, Thomas. What's your problem? Why can't you be like everybody else? Do you not trust these guys? Why can't you just believe? But here's what we know to be true. That's not how Jesus talked to people. That wouldn't be in character for him. So, what's going on here? Well, Dr. Gary Burge points out that this phrase in the original Greek is better translated like this Don't be unbelieving, but believing. So, Jesus is just acknowledging where he is and says, I want to help you move from there to here, from unbelieving to believing. And think about it is Thomas any different than anybody else? I mean, Did any of them really believe until they were able to see for themselves? Their faith wasn't really solidified until they were able to believe. The only difference is that Thomas had been really honest up to this point and said, I just don't know that I can believe until I'm able to see it for myself. And Jesus loved him so much that he revealed himself, but he said, hey, don't stay there. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And it didn't take Thomas long to make the jump. Look at how he responds to Jesus. He says, my Lord... In my God. He responds by worshiping Jesus, but he doesn't just worship Jesus. He makes a bold declaration of who he is You're the Savior, you're my Messiah, and you are God. And it's worth noting that Jesus isn't like, oh gosh, Thomas, you're being a little dramatic. Tone it down just a little bit. I just want you to believe in me. Jesus receives his worship, and then he says this in verse 29 Because you have seen me, you have believed. But listen to these next words. But blessed are those. Who have not seen and yet believe. Now, I'm going to read that one more time, and I want you to ask yourself this question Who's he talking about? Because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is making a prophetic statement about the future generations of people who would hear the people in that room go out and profess their faith in Jesus. They would share the message of the gospel. They would never see him, but they would come to faith in him. And that means he's talking about me and he's talking about you. He's talking about our kids and our grandkids, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. He says, there will be people that will be blessed. They will never see me, but they will believe. And then I want you to hear how John wraps up this entire chapter of, this, of his gospel here. And this is a phrase that's been guiding us all year long. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says this jump from unbelief to belief is actually really big because it's a move from death to life from spiritual death and separation apart from God to not just physical life, not just a better physical life, a new eternal life that begins now and extends into eternity, but it's a life that comes through faith and believing in the power of his resurrection. So let's step away from John 20 for just a moment. I got a question I want you to think about. It's a question, honestly, we should ask all the time whenever we study scripture, but this is a big one. So what? Why does this story matter and what does it have to do with our lives right now? Well, I think if you look at this story, can't we all find ourselves in it somewhere? I mean, don't you struggle with doubt and fear more often than you would care to admit? I'll admit it. I have, I have a crisis of faith on a regular basis. I say that I believe in God, but then I act, I live as if he doesn't really exist. And look at His followers. In this, they had seen the evidence for themselves, but they were behind a locked door, not just one week, but a week later. And isn't it easy for us to be like them and to confess our faith, but then this fear settles in and we're afraid that people are gonna make fun of us when we live out our faith. Our classmates are gonna ridicule us or we're gonna be rejected because we share our faith and we take that fear and we just lock our faith in a room just like they were. And I think that when we find ourselves there, we can come back to this story and we need to be reminded that just as he gave them the Holy Spirit, he has given us the Holy Spirit as well. And we are not alone. He has empowered us and commissioned us to go into the world in spite of our fears. And the Holy Spirit can do more in our life than we can do on our own. And so when you, when you struggle with fear, like, fear and faith like that, come back to the story and remember that we're empowered. But maybe you're more like Thomas. And maybe you would just say, I just don't even know that any of it's true. I'm really struggling that any of this is believable, especially that resurrection part. But you know what? You're in really good company. His disciples didn't believe until they saw him. And Thomas was just the one that was honest enough to say, I'm gonna have to see if I'm gonna believe. One of my favorite stories, I don't have this on the screen for you, but write this verse down. Matthew 28, 17. After Jesus is resurrected, he's been been with his disciples on several occasions at this point. He says, hey, let's go meet on the mountain. They go to meet on the mountain and this is what Matthew writes. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Some of them worshiped and others doubted and he was right there in front of them. That is a representation of this room. We just worshiped him and yet we struggle with our doubts and our fears together. So if you are like Thomas, don't be discouraged I just wanna challenge you with the same words that Jesus challenged us with. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And there's a big difference between refusing to believe and having a willingness to believe. A refusal to believe is just a hard heart that says there's no way God can do it. And God can do whatever he wants with your heart. But having a hard heart, having a refusal to believe, that's is is a, a tough place to be in. But Thomas had a willingness to believe, He just admitted, look, I wanna believe, but I'm gonna need to see. I'm gonna need some time. I'm gonna need some evidence. And so my question is, do you have a, a willing heart or a refusing heart? And no matter where you are on the spectrum, I would just say, don't be unbelieving, but believing. Don't give up hope. And I want you to know this, your fears and your doubts and your questions, they are welcomed here at Genesis because we all have them. And you're not supposed to go through this life on your own But I also want to challenge you and remember that it takes faith to believe, but it's not a blind faith. Think about this. The Old Testament was written thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth and it predicted his coming. So it's not a blind faith. You're just saying, oh, look, these ancient stories point to something that really happened in the New Testament. You're not believing the New Testament in blind faith. You're investigating the facts. And when you investigate the facts, you realize all these people are saying the same thing. It's the same story, but it still takes faith to believe. It seems like an impossible story, but it's something that only God can do. As we close, I want to share a passage of scripture with you. I think it's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. It's one I go back to on a regular basis for comfort. And here's why. Because the person that wrote it speaks directly to my heart. And in just a moment, I'm gonna have you read this out loud with me together, but let me tell you what's going on before we get there. This was written by Peter. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1. He's writing to believers, followers of Jesus that have been scattered all over the world because of their, because of their faith in Jesus. They're being chased away from their homes. And he encourages them and says, I want you to know that your faith in Jesus is more valuable than gold. Don't give it up. Don't walk away from it. And then he says these words in verses eight and nine. Would you read these with me together? Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that powerful? Peter is writing and he's, he's writing these people and he said, look, I realize I have an unfair advantage. I have seen him and I, I knew him. I know him. But he says, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And because of your faith, you're receiving the salvation of your souls. Peter says, I realize this is a matter, a journey of faith, but don't give up hope. Now, I don't know where you're at on this continuum of faith. Maybe today you're feeling really strong in your faith and everything's making sense. I want to encourage you to use the strength that you feel right now from the Holy Spirit to help someone that's struggling. Because the reality is, if you're like me, I can be over here and I can really quickly slide over here. But maybe you're over here and you're like Thomas and you're like, I am just, I just don't know and I'm holding on by a thread. It's okay. Jesus was patient with Thomas. He'll be patient with you. But do you have a willingness to investigate the facts? In fact, would you be willing to pray today Okay, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, would you show up to me? Why don't you ask him? He responded for Thomas. Why wouldn't he respond for you? So I'm gonna close by praying, but I also wanna issue an invitation. If your life has blown up, if you are overwhelmed, if you're afraid, if you don't know what to believe, I wanna invite you to come forward. We've got people that would love to talk with you and to pray with you because you're not in a bad spot. It doesn't have to be forever. Jesus has come. He has died. He has rose from the dead. He's the reason that we gather. He's the reason that we sing. But you might just need to connect with somebody to take that next step. Or maybe you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus today. We'd love to talk with you about that. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We sing these songs to you. And sometimes we just go through the motions. We go through the motions because we're having a crisis of faith. We want to believe that it's true. We want to have a willingness to believe, but we just get blinded by all the bad, all the overwhelming circumstances in life. I am thankful for Thomas's honesty to say, I just need to see before I can believe. Holy Spirit, would you open up our spiritual eyes? I want to pray for the people that are listening, (laughs) I want to pray for myself. In the moments when I can't see, would you help me to see? In the moments when I'm struggling to believe, would you help us to believe? Jesus, would you reveal yourself to us? Not so we feel better, but so that our fear can be moved to joy. So we can move from death to life. So that we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit and go into this world in the power of your name. Holy Spirit, if there's someone here that needs to talk, that needs to pray, would you bring them forward today? Help them to see they're not alone. Would you help those of us that are walking faithfully today to be encouragers and to lean into our spiritual networks, but to create spiritual networks where people can talk about their doubts and their fears. Jesus, we love you. Would you help us to live out our lives for you boldly? And that even though we can't see you, we love you. Would you help us to rejoice in the salvation of our souls through faith in you? It's in your name we pray, amen.